Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Parker Here. It is Parker Here. Isn't that theme song so sick? Shouts to Nate Riser, cousin Nate. Hopping on his little mini keyboard, made me that made me that intro music in like 25 minutes one night out of his apartment, and it was awesome. So shouts to Nate for the old, uh, you know, for the old intro. We got a fun pod today. Um, obviously, the NBA playoffs are in full swing. We've had three days now of NBA playoff games. There are three series out of the eight that have two games played. I'm recording this um, Tuesday, April 19th at 9 a.m. So um, by the time this gets out to you guys, the Tuesday games will have already been played. So I apologize for that. Um, But the Golden State Warriors have a 2-0 lead on top of the Denver Nuggets. Philadelphia 76ers have a 2-0 lead on top of the Toronto Raptors. And then the Utah Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks are tied at 1-1, splitting the games at Dallas, but Dallas without Luka. Um, So Jazz were wanting to steal both of those, but they'll be back in Salt Lake City for game three and four. Okay, um, I think we're just going to buzz through every series. Um, some of them I'll spend longer on, some of them I won't. I'm not joined by anybody today. Um, kind of a weird schedule. I had to get on record early. Um, so it's just going to be me, and I, I, I feel like the last one went well. So, you know, if you don't love my podcast or when I do them solo, then just let me know, and I'll have you come on as a guest. How about that? Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just going to try and – hurry through every um every series and then you know kind of just like a rundown you know more so informational for everybody that wants to listen and then I'll give you a little bit of my takes and you know maybe maybe predict who I think is is going to win the series all right let's start out the Phoenix Suns New Orleans Pelicans um Suns lead 1-0 Pelicans kind of made it a game um you know, they, it looked like the Suns were just going to run away with it. It was going to be a blowout. Uh, the Pelicans got it within single digits there in that fourth quarter, and then we just saw a, 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 an absolute all-timer game from Chris Paul. Um, he did what he's done his entire career. Um, I guess you can say his entire career in the regular season, maybe not so much in the playoffs, but just took over the game. Um Put New Orleans in a lot of tough pick and roll situations, and then just, and then just always made them wrong. Um, kept getting the switch that he wanted. He'd pull Larry Nance way out and and just expose him. It was uh, it was a masterclass performance by Chris Paul in that fourth quarter, um, and and sealed the victory for him. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why they're the best team in the league is that. Chris Paul can do it for you. Devin Booker can do it for you. If neither of them are getting it done, Cam Johnson shoots it at a 45% clip from three. You know, like DeAndre Ayton is a, is a very serviceable big, um, and that's probably an understatement. Um, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're just really impressive, um, and I think that that game probably went as expected, especially with the Pelicans, you know. For half the season, it's like, are they tanking? And then they they make the C.J. McCollum trade, and, you know, they start winning some games. C.J. McCollum is unbelievable, such a good player. But, like, 
their two best offensive weapons are Brandon Egram and C.J. McCollum, and, you know, you have Mikhail Bridges and Devin Booker, who can be a good defender. Cam Johnson's a great defender. DeAndre Ayton can switch on to him and, and, and hold his own, you know. So it's it's just hard for those wings to, to really be successful when the Suns are just so good defensively, and then, you know, you have Chris Paul leading your offense. It's It's going to be a nightmare for you. The Memphis Grizzlies, so the only, you know, quote-unquote upset of the first round of the playoffs, lost to the Timberwolves in game one. I don't know. I, I don't know how I felt about this game. I don't know how I wanted to approach it. I still think that Memphis is going to win the series. But at the same time, I wasn't I wasn't surprised that the Timberwolves won. I was surprised at how they won because it felt like – it kind of felt like Memphis was never in that game. Every time, like, it was so weird for me. I, I I don't know what it was. Maybe I just wasn't as locked in. But, like, every time during the game, Memphis would go on a little run. You know, they'd score six straight or, you know, hit back-to-back threes or something like that. And then I'd look up at the score and they'd still be down five. <laughs> it was like, you know, it, it was so random. It just felt like they were never really – they were trying to stay afloat that whole game, which which was surprising. But I'm not surprised that the Timberwolves won. I think that, you know, for, for for all the antics that Patrick Beverly has, and you can say whatever you want about him, and I mostly agree if we're being honest. You know, I think that he's an annoying player. I think that um, he's probably overvalued defensively. But what you can't overvalue is his mindset and his will to win and the way that he approaches the game of basketball. And he has completely changed that entire team and what they believe and how hard they want to play. And they really believe that they can win games. Carl Anthony Towns believes that he's the best player on the floor every time he's out there. And Anthony Edwards believes that he's the best player in the NBA every time he's out there. In fact, he just had a quote where he was saying, I think I'm the best defensive player in the NBA, which is, you know, it is what it is. But that that's the type of confidence that, that Anthony Edwards plays with, but then Patrick Beverly brings out of everybody. Everybody just thinks that they can win when they have Patrick Beverly on their team because the guy's just a nut job. So I, I, I do want to give a shout-out to Pat Bev because I really think that he changed something there and made a lot of those younger guys, you know, think that they can think that they can win, think that they can hang around in these ballgames. But with that being said, I, I don't believe that, that they will win this series. I think that Memphis is just too good. They're too well coached. Jenkins um, – it's not like John Moran had a bad game. I mean, he got to the – he shot 20 free throws. Um which all of them were deserved. Every time he drives, he's getting killed because they it, right. It, the thing that's hard with Jaw is that everybody fouls him on the way up because once he gets up there, you're not. It doesn't matter if you foul him; he's going to put it on your head, right? So everybody fouls him on the way up, which leads to a lot of hard fouls for Jaw because you're sw- the the defender is swinging down as Jaw's coming up, and so it looks like a you know it looks like a hard foul. There's always a lot of contact with Jaw, so I, I think the Memphis is the excuse me, the Grizzlies are going to figure something out. Um, and I, I would predict that they'll win game two, but it's going to be a fun series. And I, I wasn't surprised that the Timberwolves stole game one because they, you know, they have a lot of good players. Real quick, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready for this Anthony Edwards coronation, you know. 
there's a lot of a lot of positivity around Anthony Edwards, and I like him. I love his game. I love his his attitude, but like, I'm just not there yet. He had one good game. Same thing with Luca, right? And for some reason, I guess I was ready to crown Luca. I thought he was unbelievable, but like, I don't know. I guess I wasn't after his first playoff game. You know, like Anthony Edwards has been really good, and he just won a playoff game, but like. You know, let's see it again. Maybe try and close out the series, you know, because Luca did the same thing. I don't know. I guess I guess even that I'm mentioning Anthony Edwards and Luca is, is probably a good thing because Anthony Edwards is unbelievable and Luka Doncic is, you know, preparing to potentially be the face of the league here. But I'm, I'm just not – I don't know. I'm not as hot on him as – I guess a lot of other people were. They're really, they're really bad possessions from him. Um, but I, yeah, I guess he makes up for it a little bit defensively. But he just—it seems like there are a lot of bad possessions with Edwards, um, offensively. But that's okay. Warriors Nuggets. Warriors up two zero on the Nuggets. They played last night. My first feeling is one terror, two sadness. So the first one, terror, because how did this happen? You watch this Warriors team, and somehow Steph Curry and Klay Thompson aren't the best shooters on the floor. How? It, it's it really. I, I was just like at a loss for words watching both of these both of these first games. It's unbelievable. It's unfair. You know, everybody everybody was constantly joking during the Warriors run, like, oh, they're going to try and find a third Splash Brother. Who's it going to be? They actually found another one. And his name is Poole. <laughs> it's, it just, like, I genuinely just can't believe it. And, and the kid is unbelievable. And I know that, like, this is going to sound dumb, but I don't even care. Like, I wish that I had tweeted about it or written it down somewhere or had a podcast back when he was in college because I don't know what it was. I just loved him at Michigan. I really did. And I know that he's not anywhere anywhere near the same player he was, but I loved his game at Michigan. I thought he had a I thought he had a pretty shot. I liked his body. I liked the length. And and probably it was just that he looked sick because he's just got a dope vibe about him. But like I really did love him at Michigan and I remember thinking like oh Jordan Poole that's sick and then he went to the G League and that was kind of all I thought of it but now he's hooping and it's just unfair and then my second feeling is sadness because like Jokic just can't do anymore I'm one of the biggest Draymond guys there is I I thought that I got into an argument and this was probably ridiculous but this is just how big of a fan I was I got into an argument during their run in you know 2014-2017 where I (laughs) I made comments that I was like, I think Draymond might be more important to this team than Steph Curry is. And it's probably a little bit ridiculous, and I know that it is, but like the premise was still there because Draymond makes both Steph and Clay so much better than they are. And we saw that this year, right? When Dre went down, the Warrior season got derailed. He's so important and vital to that team because as good as Steph Curry is, he's at his best when he's moving without the ball because he makes the entire defense scramble. When he has the ball, the defense can see him. 
and they know what he's going to do. He's just dribbling. When he doesn't have the ball and he's running around on the baseline, he's coming off of down screens, he's setting screens, he is so incredibly hard to guard. And when Draymond has the ball, he just knows exactly what he's going to do. So Draymond's so good. That was kind of a tangent there. That's not why I'm sad. I'm sad because Jokic is just getting killed and he has no help. And it just makes me sad watching him play because he's trying so hard. He's doing all he can every possession and balls are going through Aaron Gordon's fingers and, and Monte Morris is hitting layups off the side of the backboard. And I just, I, I'm just really sad for Jokic. Um, it's it's a, it's just a wasted season, you know. Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. will hopefully be healthy next year, and and they can make another run at it. But it just makes me sad watching Jokic and Draymond Green has done such a good job defensively on him. Um, it's been unbelievable, even with the size advantage for Jokic. Draymond has been so good. So yeah, I, I actually think the Warriors win that one in four. I just think that that lineup that they have is so terrifying and can just blow you out of the water so fast you can have a three-point lead and then in two and a half minutes you'll be down 16 literally it's unbelievable clay looks like he's finally starting to find a rhythm steph looks like he's moving better than i was expecting him to and then jordan Poole is just the best player on the floor which who would have saw that coming utah mavericks 1-1 mavericks tied it up second game utah stole the first one on the road this is a tough one. I mean, we've just seen it before. I know that I that I that a lot of my listeners are Jazz fans, and I'm okay with that. I'll let you guys know straight up. I'm not the biggest Jazz lover. Um, I've kind of always had a hate for them, if we're being honest, just being surrounded by the fans and whatnot. Um, but we've seen it before. We knew exactly what it was. They're going to go five out. All of the perimeter defenders are going to get beat off the dribble, and Rudy Gobert can only do so much, right? And I'm tired of the argument that, oh, now everybody's having their career high against the Jazz. You know, we're just unlucky. Everybody does this. Everybody does that. You're right. A lot of people have had career highs on the Utah Jazz. Maybe it's not just luck. Maybe it's because of the looks that you give them. Maybe it's because every three-pointer that Maxi Kleber shot was a – was an inside-out kick. It's shooting practice. A lot of open looks, a lot of open drives to the rim, a lot of backdoor cuts because Rudy Gobert steps over to help because Donovan got beat off the dribble again, and now you have a layup. Rudy Gobert can't guard everything. It's unreasonable to ask him to guard Jalen Brunson off the dribble and Maxi Kleber in the corner. Donovan Mitchell has to care more on defense especially with how bad he is down the stretch in some of these games, fourth quarters late, struggled again last night. He has to be better and care more defensively because it, it was it was just embarrassing. Their perimeter defense was awful. Royce O'Neal is the only serviceable one out there. And it changes too, right? Like, I mean, Joe Ingles was obviously one of the best defenders on the, on the court every time he was out there. Now you don't have Joe. And now there are just holes along the entire perimeter – of, of the Jazz's defense, and they're paying for it. With that being said, I, I don't think that, you know, this series is just lost. I would hope that Quinn Snyder is able to make some changes, that the team is able to hype each other up and, and care more. But every Jazz fan knows that we've seen it before. It's exactly the same thing the Clippers did. 
And that's and you know, and that's without Luca. Like if he comes back for the rest of the series, it's there's no telling what can happen because it, it <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it'd be helpful because then you know, he'd just have the ball a lot more and then they're kicking out less and swinging the ball around less and now the Jazz just have to focus on one guy, but I don't know. It doesn't seem doesn't seem good for Utah. Um yeah, they just have to care more. And what what has been really interesting is I used to be the biggest Gobert hater. I loved the way he affected the game defensively, but he was such a zero offensively that I just hated it. But, like, he's good. He's so good. And in game one, he was unbelievable. And then in game two, he just couldn't – you can't do it. You can't ask him to defend the rim and then also defend somebody 28 feet away from the basket. It's not going to work out. All right, over to the east. Miami, Atlanta. Miami leads 1-0 on top of the Hawks, uh, one in definitive fashion. Um, I have never been sold on Miami. I just I didn't love that Tyler Hero was kind of your X factor. You know, if he came in and had a good game, then you'd probably win, and if he didn't, you might lose. I didn't love that fact, but – and I love Tyler Hero. I just, you know, that's a lot to ask for a six man of the year and, you know, a younger kid who hasn't doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. Does have some. So I just wasn't sold on Miami. But then you watch game one, and I know that the Hawks have struggled, but what they did defensively was just unbelievable. And what how they handled Trey Young and Eric Spolstra, I kind of forgot that he was the head coach and that, you know, he's – He's probably a top five head coach in the league and, and will be as long as he's coaching. Um, it, it it really looked terrifying. And if also if Duncan Robinson is going to shoot the ball that way, like I think they're going to win any game. But they really, really made Trey Young struggle. And Trey Young is playing really good basketball right now and, and really has been all year. Um, but they really made him struggle – and it was the way that they just defended him. It was almost a zone type of thing where it was kind of just like, we're going to let you, or we're not going to let you beat. We're not going to let you drive and kick. We're not going to let you get dribble penetration. We're not going to let you, you know, land a couple of those floaters. They just like, they were just unbelievable. Right? Kyle Lowry's guarding him. Get a screen. Now Jimmy Butler's guarding him. All right, throw another screen. Now Bam Adebayo's guarding him, right? Like, all of these guys that can guard Trey Young and and the Hawks just really struggled getting anything going offensively because of, of of how stout that Miami defense was. And again, they shot the heck out of the ball. So, you know, I would have been surprised if they didn't win. Miami looked really good. Celtics Nets. Uh, my first thought is, you know, I I'm just hoping what that I'm hoping the same thing everybody else is that we get seven games of this series because it's unbelievable. Probably the best first round matchup we've I've ever seen in my life, definitely. It's really, really good. Um that first game one is a is a really big game to win in this series, it feels like. Um which is hard, right? Because now it almost feels like the Nets have to win five games, right? Or I guess win I don't know. That sounds weird. But, yeah, now it feels like this is a series where the Nets have to win five games because they probably should have won that game, you know. 
So now they have to win four more on top of one that they should have already won, if that makes sense. Um, such an awesome game. Really unbelievable. Um, let's just, or I guess let's hit some other stuff. Kyrie obviously goes berserk. Unbelievable. I don't. I wasn't surprised. I think that this is the exact type of environment that Kyrie thrives in. Um, the playoffs and on the road in Boston, like hearing it from the crowd, and he's just. <laughs> we will. I'll, I'll mention his antics, you know, at the, at the end of this segment. But like, he thrives on that, and I wasn't surprised in the slightest. I was surprised that KD struggled, um, and I think the fact that you were in that game, and I guess Kyrie went berserk. But again, I wasn't surprised by that. Right, everybody's saying like the counter to the argument of oh well, KD struggled is that Kyrie went off, but like yeah, that's the point of the Nets' offense is that both guys can go off, and if they do, they're gonna win, you know. So I was surprised that KD struggled a little bit. Um, Celtics look really good; they look really, really good, and I and I saw a, um, a cool take that was like this just proves why the Celtics are going to win the series is because it's a we before me mentality with the Celtics, whereas it isn't with the Nets, right? And you can look at it, right? Look at the final two possessions. Unbelievable defense by Marcus Smart. Al Horford came over to trap Kyrie Irving. Things got tough. He tried to get a look, tried to get to his right hand, tried to get to a spot. They made it really difficult for him. He kicks out to KD with three seconds left on the clock. KD just has to chuck something up, right? And then you look at the Celtics' final possession, and their three best players all touched the ball, and it was quick. It was fast. It was movement. It was cuts. You know, it was with the pass. It wasn't with the dribble. And obviously, I know it's two different offensive possessions, right? Like, the Celtics had to do what they did in eight seconds, whereas the Nets were just trying to get a good shot off and and take a three-point lead. But I just – Especially because Jalen Brown made that layup, right? He he drove in, finished on top of Bruce Brown to cut it to one with however many seconds were left, 40, 38. And, and then he has the ball on a fast break. I guess, quote-unquote, fast break in transition. And it's like, oh, man, he's just going to take it to the rack and try and finish, maybe get fouled, let's do it. And then he kicks it to Marcus Smart, and then you're like, please don't shoot it. Like, you know, you have two guys, Nick Clax and Ambrose Brown, closing out on you. Please don't shoot this ball. He upfakes somehow. Somehow has the wherewithal, the awareness to upfake, takes two dribbles, and Jason Tatum, backdoor cut, spin move, layup at the buzzer. A couple things. One, Jason Tatum understanding to cut, right? I feel like the way the game is played now is let Marcus Smart kick to me. I'll knock down this three. He cuts, gets everything going towards the rim, which is awesome. Um, Jason Tatum realizing that he's going to have to spin there. He started his spin before the ball even got to him. Go back and watch the video. Slow it down. He starts spinning before the ball gets to his hands. It's unbelievable. Because if he doesn't spin, it's it's going to be a bang-bang block charge call on Kyrie Irving because that that's the only thing he could have done in that moment, is spin and then finish the layup. Kevin Durant, everybody's harping on Kevin Durant. He's a rim protector. He's a good defensive player. Like, what did you want him to do? There was two seconds left, or there was one second left when Jason Tatum caught the ball. You think he's just going to spring from the free throw line to the backboard to try and block Jason Tatum's shot? It doesn't make any sense. Did he lose his man defensively? 
Yes and no. When it when things are in a scrum like that, you just watch the ball and try and cover the nearest guy, right? The thing that I love is how long that eight seconds took. Because you can go back and look, and Kevin Durant looks up at the clock and says, how much freaking time is left? <laughs> he, he, he glances up for half a second. Jason Tatum goes back door on him and finishes an unbelievable layup. Um, an unbelievable play by all three of those Celtics. And if we're being honest, Jason Tatum probably got fouled by Kyrie Irving anyway. But really impressive stuff by the Celtics. I do still have the Nets winning that series. I do. Because I – and I know this is going to be controversial, I guess, maybe to some people, but I know how good Jason Tatum has been. I understand it. I just still think that Brooklyn has the best two players in that series. Um, I really do. And I think that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are better than, than anybody on the Celtics. And I, I'm here for the Jason Tatum argument. And on some nights, it obviously looks like Jason Tatum is better. But I just I'm, – I'm not there yet. I want to see more from him. Give me another playoff run and I'll believe it. Kyrie Irving hit the biggest shot in NBA history. He has a ring. He won a ring in Cleveland. And it, a lot of it was on him. I know that LeBron was on that team. But Kyrie Irving won Cleveland a ring. All right, moving on. Bucks bowls This is a weird watch for me because I felt like Bulls – I felt like the Bulls could have won this game. And I felt like the Bucks really struggled, which kind of sucked because I, I actually think the Bucks are still my pick to win it all. But, man, if it, yeah, the, the best three players for the Bulls didn't shoot the ball particularly well. What I did love was that it felt like Vooch kind of got whatever he wanted. It felt like Vooch was eating on, on Giannis, on Brook Lopez, on, you know, Whoever was defending him, it felt like Vooch was getting really good looks. And then DeMar DeRozan just shot the ball really bad. And Zach Levine, eh, it was first playoff game. Or cut him some slack. This game was a little bit confusing. Um, I'm annoyed that <laughs> it felt like this happened so much last year in, in the Bucks playoff run. But is Brooke Lopez the most important player on the Milwaukee Bucks <laughs> because time and time again, it genuinely feels like he is. Um, obviously I know it's Giannis and then probably drew holiday. And then I'm, I'm here for the argument of Chris Middleton or Brooke Lopez. Who's the next most important, but Brooke Lopez is so huge. And he was again, down the stretch, had a couple and ones late, had a couple nice defensive rebounds late, um, made things hard for Vooch down the stretch. Who kind of had it going all game, man, He's just good, and and the Bucks are good, and I do think that they're going to lose one, maybe two games, if I'm being honest. I could see that series going six, um, which I think is fine. I think the I think that the Bucks are just trying to lock it into playoff mode. If I'm being honest, felt like felt like things kind of got turned off for them in the regular season, um, and now they're they're getting ready to amp it up again and and playoff play on that playoff type of speed and, and that mentality. But I think the Bucks will be fine. But I was surprised. I, I thought that the Bulls could have stole that game. Sixers-Raptors, not a lot to say here. Um, kind of unfortunate. You know, Raptors have some injuries. Scotty Barnes goes down. It looks like a tough one. Thad Young wasn't available for game one. It just – Fred Van Fleet had something going on that was weird, um, you know, just unfortunate. But at the same time, like, I would have picked a sweep anyway. 
because who on who on the Raptors is is doing anything to slow down Joel Embiid? Like nobody. And and you saw it in game two, right? The Raptors as a team shot twelve free throws. Joel Embiid himself made twelve free throws. He was twelve of fourteen from the line. And then you saw it after the game, right? There was that clip of Joel Embiid and Nick Nurse, um, you know, it, it, looking like pretty frustrated with each other, exchanging some words after the game as, as the final seconds were ticking off. And then, you know, they were both asked about it. And the gist was that Nick Nurse was saying, hey, stop complaining about fouls. Like, we're just going to keep fouling you. Like, you're going to have to keep making free throws this whole series and Joel Embiid. I guess, I don't know. Yeah, we obviously don't know what they said, and I don't know if they were being honest in their comments. But, yeah, I just I just wasn't surprised by the way this series is going. And I, if I'm being honest, I'd be a little bit worried about the Sixers because now they're going to have this series to kind of just – I think they'll sweep them, and I think that they're going to have some time to figure more things out, right? That was kind of the thing is, is are they going to figure James Harden and Joel Embiid out before – they get into a playoff series and have to win. Well, now it feels like they don't have to. I think that James Harden has been really good, um, and then Joel Embiid has obviously been unbelievable as well. And Tobias Harris. And then, sorry, we should talk about the Tyrese Maxey. I mean, that first game was unbelievable. He was the best player on the court, um, which was just unfair to the Raptors as well. But, like, it all starts with Joel, and then it, and then things open up for James Harden, and then James Harden's opened things up for Tyrese Maxey. And Tyrese Maxey's unbelievable, but um, – yeah, I, I I think that that's it. I think that they're gonna. I'd be scared to play them in round two. I really would, and I'm. I guess I'm <laughs> saying that they're already through. But I do predict a sweep in that series, and I'd be scared to play the Sixers next round. I think that Joel Embiid obviously has a ton to prove. I I'm I'm a James Harden believer. I just am, and I know it's not the most popular thing to do right now, but. I just believe in James Harden, and I believe in his skill as a player and his basketball knowledge. Um, And I think that he has a lot to prove as well. And I know that he has so much media attention for all of the wrong reasons, but I do think that he really wants to win an NBA championship. So we'll see what happens with the Sixers down the stretch. That'll do it for today's Parker here. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, we'll be back next week. I don't know what we're going to be talking about. I'm sure we'll hit some more NBA playoffs. Hayden hit me up. He said he really wants to talk some, some NBA drafts. So we'll get an episode of that out soon. Uh, and then Spencer McLaughlin hit me up as well, wanting to talk a little bit more golf. So, uh, I'll let you guys know, but I appreciate all you guys for listening. Once again, shouts out cousin Nate. Appreciate you for making the intro for me. Uh, cover art done by my dear wife, Brooklyn. Um, Thank you guys for listening. It's Parker here.